0: When I was in fourth grade at Washington Elementary School in Mount Vernon, I wanted to be on the school patrol. The cool kids were on the school patrol. You got to wear a patrolman's belt and a helmet and a badge. You carried a flag and you stopped cars at crosswalks. I thought it would be fun to wear the helmet and stop cars. But there was something else. At the end of the year, everyone on school patrol got to go to Playland, an amusement park near Seattle. You'd all pile into a bus and drive down Highway 99 to Playland. You spent the whole day there. There were more than enough kids on school patrol that year So I was placed on the substitute roster. But even as a substitute, I would still get to go to Playland. One day, well into the school year, one of my classmates was sick. So the captain of the school patrol, a girl in my class, asked me to step in and grab a flag and a belt and a helmet and go out to the intersection. The only problem was that I had never been taught how to be a school patrolman. I'd never had the chance. I had no experience, and I was terrified. I was too embarrassed to tell her I didn't know what to do, too embarrassed to tell her I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to ask for help. So when I was asked that day to go out on school patrol, something I had dreamed about for months, something I wanted to do more than anything else, I said, no. Why, she asked me. I was too scared to tell her I was scared. So instead, I shook my head I don't want to go out, I heard myself telling her, even though that was the last thing I wanted to tell her. I desperately wanted to go out on patrol. I wanted to wear that helmet and badge and belt. I wanted to walk into the intersection with that flag and stop traffic. And I wanted to go to Playland. But I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to ask for help. So I said, no. She shrugged. Well, if you won't go out today, then you can't be on school patrol. I know, I said, even though I had always dreamed of being on school patrol. I'm going to go tell the teacher, she told me. Okay, I said. Mr. Penninger walked over and talked to me, unsmiling. Your patrol captain told me you said you won't go out today. Is that right? Yes, I said. Why? he asked me. I just don't want to go out, I told him, unable to admit that I was scared, that I didn't know what to do, that I didn't know how to do it. Then you're off school patrol, he said. You're done. Do you understand? I nodded. Holding back my tears, I went back to my desk. I had been court-martialed. I would never wear the belt or the helmet or the badge. Never carry the flag into the intersection. Never stop cars and never go to Playland. I never did get to Playland. Matter of fact, a few years later, they tore down Playland. I always wondered what it was like, and I never got the chance. I've spent my life trying to get to Playland, but Playland is gone. It's too late. The roller coasters are gone. The cotton candy is gone. Playland is now a strip mall. I thought of that story when I read today's gospel text. I understand the last guy in the story. I am the last guy in the story. He never got to go to Playland. Too scared to ask for help. Too scared to take a risk. Too scared to use what he had, he lost everything. Scared to do the wrong thing, he did nothing. Scared to look like a fool, he looked like a fool. Scared he would disappoint his master, he disappointed his master. Things didn't turn out so well for him. You heard the story. A man leaves town and entrusts his property to three of his servants. It's not their property, it's his property. But he trusts them. Like the tenants in the parable of the vineyard, these servants are entrusted with something that does not belong to them. But these servants do not take for themselves what does not belong to them. Instead, they use what is given to them for a while. A talent, the commentaries say, is the equivalent of a year's wages. To the first servant, the master gives five talents. To the second, he gives two. And to the last servant, he gives one. Each according to his ability, Jesus says. The first and second servants doubled what was given to them. For the first... Five talents becomes ten, and for the second, two talents become four. They have been worthy of the trust placed in them by the Master. Each is rewarded. Well done, O good and faithful servant, the Master says to each. You have been faithful with a few things, so now I will give you even more. Put another way, because you have been trustworthy, I will trust you even more. But the third servant, who received only one talent, buried it. He hid it. And when the master comes back, the servant digs it up and returns it to him. Master, he tells him, I knew you were a harsh man, so I was afraid, and I hid what you gave me in the ground. You wicked and lazy servant, the master tells him. Because you did not use what was given to you, you will lose it. The lesson here is that the master is harsh, not because the servant risked and failed, but because he did not risk what was given to him at all. So the money he hid in the ground is taken from him, and the money is given to others. Then come these hard and troubling words. To all who have, more will be given. But those who have nothing, even that will be taken from them. And the servant, who is called worthless, harsh words here, is cast out, thrown into outer darkness, there to weep and gnash his teeth. There is no playland in outer darkness. There is no roller coaster, no cotton candy, no reward, no fun. Only regret over what might have been. All because in his fear, the worthless servant hid the master's money in a coffee can in the backyard, did not use what was entrusted to him. If you don't use it, the lesson of the story seems to be, you will lose it. Something in us balks at the harshness of this story at the apparent injustice of this story. Not much mercy here. The idea that those who have will be given more while those who don't have anything or have very little will lose even that is especially difficult. Sounds like social Darwinism. If you have something and over time Through your hard work, you get more, you will be rewarded. But if you have nothing, or next to nothing, and through long habit and fear you hide it under the mattress, you will lose it. Speculators are rewarded, and the cautious are cast into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The rich get richer, and the poor get poorer. Is that what this parable is all about? If it is, thanks, but no thanks. Such a God is too harsh for me. Such a God sets up the broken for more disappointment and only confirms the fears of those who are afraid turns out they were afraid for a good reason. This doesn't square with the merciful God described by the prophet Isaiah, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. So what are we to do with this parable of judgment? Is it really about a God who crushes the meek, the bruised? The broken. Some folks' lives, Paul Simon sings, roll easy as a breeze, drifting through a summer night, heading for a sunny day. But some folks' lives, Lord, they stumble. Lord, they fall through no fault of their own. Here I am, Lord, knocking at your place of business. I know I ain't got no business here, but you said if I ever got so low, I was busted. You could be trusted. Where is that God in this parable? What's the point? The point of this parable is not that God is merciless, but that God is recklessly merciful, that God gives us a life Each according to our ability expects no more than that we risk using what we have been given, that we risk failing, that we risk making fools of ourselves, knowing that God is for us and with us, whatever we do with the life given to us, so long as we do something with it. This isn't a parable about rich and poor. It is a parable about a God who trusts us so much he gives us the keys to the house and leaves with a smile on his face, thinking about how much fun we're going to have while he's gone, imagining all the good things we will have done with all he gave us. The point seems to be that those who believe in God because God scares the crap out of them. Those who live their lives accordingly will see their worst fears come true. Those who live their lives dreading the return of a harsh master will be crippled by their fears. They will see what has been given to them, they will see their life itself not as a gift not as something to be risked, but as something to be hidden and protected and buried. And in so doing, their fear is a self-fulfilling prophecy. The God of mercy becomes for them, a God of harsh, arbitrary judgment, a judgment they brought on themselves because they have chosen to live in stingy fear rather than in reckless grace. Better to be like the lost son in Jesus' parable in Luke 15, who loses everything, but finally comes to himself, finally comes to his senses, and having come to his senses, turns around and comes back home where there's a party waiting for him. Better to be like the lost son than to be like the older brother who works hard for everything he has, has risked nothing, has buried his life in fear and resentment, and when he gets back to the house, refuses to come inside and join the party. Grace comes to those who risk and fail not to those who hide their life in a coffee can buried in the backyard. The lesson of the parable of the talents is simply this use your life or you will lose it. Don't hoard it or hide it. Don't keep it for yourself. Don't protect it to death because you fear a harsh master. You have been given your life. You have been given it to give it away. In an old folktale, gold that is kept becomes coal. Only gold that is given away remains gold. So with our lives. Our lives remain precious only to the degree we are willing to give them away only to the degree that we are willing to let go, to recklessly trust and audaciously risk. Deborah tells Barak, don't be afraid, don't worry. Go to Mount Tabor, and by the Wadi Kishon, the Lord will give your enemy into your hand. The psalmist says, have mercy on us, Lord. Lord. You are not living in darkness, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, for that day, the day of the Lord, to surprise you like a thief. You are not living in darkness. You are children of the light, children of the day. Keep awake. Be hopeful. Encourage one another. In other words, don't live in fear or in dread. Don't hide in darkness. Don't bury what you have been given. God has not destined us for wrath, Paul says, but for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. All I had to do that day at Washington School was ask for help. All I had to do was to tell that teacher, I'm afraid. I don't know how to do this. Show me how. My guess is that my teacher would have told me, You will not be alone. Don't be afraid. You will have what you need. Use what you have. We will help you. And if you make mistakes, so what? Use what you have and everything will be okay. And at the end of it all, We will all go to playland. Amen.